The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, welcome to the Chronic Podcast, regular season edition number one. I'm your host, Ralph Marlboro. It's Tuesday, so that means it's time to talk to our friend Andrew Juge of the Saints Nation. Um, Andrew, before we get to season previews and get dive into the Redskins, um, what did you make of the Saints roster moves? Of course, they chose Hartley over John Casey. They made some other moves at the bottom. The roster kind of turned it over. What were your What were your initial thoughts of the roster moves? You know, no, no real surprises, Ralph. Um, I was a little surprised to see him keep five running backs, but Cadet's a guy that can help him on special teams, and as well as he played in preseason, um, you know, it makes sense that they felt like they needed to yeah. keep him. Um, you know, I, I'd say just the slight surprise is that they, um, you know, Albert Mack didn't impress me much, so it doesn't surprise me that they went and got a corner. Um, to replace him um, from from the cuts, but uh, I was a little surprised to see them ditch uh, Jonathan Amaya for Raphael Bush, um, just because Amaya's been in the system a year. Was a guy they liked. Um, he's supposed to be a terrific special teams guy, although I've never really seen that. But um, so I was a little surprised to see them get rid of Amaya for a guy that they don't really know, um, or at least they haven't really you know played against him much, and he hasn't really been involved in with the coaching staff. So. That was a little bit of a surprise, but mostly what I expected. Um, you know, Matt Tennant being cut was a slight surprise, but, uh, you know, I'd say that's kind of the one thing where, you know, now they did sign two guards to be on the practice squad. So, you know, if something happens, at least they've got guys they can call up. But right now they've got one backup for three positions at both guards and at center, and it's Eric Wilson, and that's it. So um, from that standpoint, I was a little surprised that they just went with one guy and let Tennant go. Yeah, I mean, the one thing about about Matt Tennant is, look, um, everybody misses in the draft. You know, the Saints are no different. Look, we can go through there and misses Al Woods and the Pittman, the running back. I mean, you know, they just missed. They thought they were getting something really good in Matt Tennant. They traded up to get him, and he had a little longer rope than, you know, a normal fifth-round pick, Andrew, because I think they moved up to get him. They really liked him, but he just can't play. I mean, he the Patriots had him for like a day. I just think he couldn't play center. He can't play guard. He just look. I don't know. He just when I saw him in the games, he just looked like he wasn't physical enough to do it. Yeah, look, we're not going to hold it against the Saints with how well they've done drafting linemen late in the draft. I mean, between Evans and Nix and Streif, so they 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 they've hit more than they've missed with backup mm-hmm. linemen, but. You're right. You know, this is the guy they missed on with Tennant. And uh, the, the thing that I think was telling and kind of doomed his career was last year when it became very quickly pretty evident that Olin Cruz wasn't going to cut it. And really, really even before they signed Cruz, you know, um, Goodwin was gone and uh, Goodwin had replaced uh, another veteran in Jeff Fain. And so, Basically, there was no centers on the roster. I mean, the spot was tenants to take. They had drafted him. 
he was the next in line. They were grooming him to be the next center, and they didn't feel comfortable with him, so they went out and got Olin Cruz. And yeah. Olin Cruz was so bad that they decided, okay, we're going to go to the next guy, and it wasn't him again. It was an undrafted guy yeah. that they signed, you know, as a free agent in Brian De La Puente. So um, he's had every opportunity, and, and guy after guy has beaten him out, including guys that were so over the hill that they performed horribly. Um, so I, I think that was pretty telling, and, and you know, so you could maybe see the writing on the wall a little bit from Tennant based on that. Yeah, and I think you know it was really telling last year, like when when they were like, I think it was like a day in, it was like a day or two in the camp, they cut Stinchcomb, and they didn't make a move. They were like, eh, we got we got Streif, it's fine, you know. Whereas they brought in Olin Krutz almost immediately, and everybody was like, what the fuck? What about Tennant? And it was clearly just like they were because they knew they're like Tennant can't play. Um, yeah. I heard something interesting on a podcast I was listening to today. Mike Lombardi was was on the podcast with Bill Simmons, and he he made an interesting point about t- when when teams um have a bunch of players at a position or they make a bunch of claims on the waiver wire, that can be a sign that they're really not comfortable with what they have. And you made a made the point of hey, they just claim two guards, but you, you went through that. They need some depth, but they also made a claim. They claim Murphy, the corner from the Rams. Um, should that be a sign that we should still be a little worried about what they are at corner, Andrew? No, I don't think so because, well, you know, Marquis Johnson was a guy that looked really good, and so it's really too bad that he ends up on IR. But Albert Mack is probably a guy in the end that doesn't know the system as well as Jerome Murphy mm-hmm. um, because Jerome Murphy remembers with the Rams, and um, so he's a guy that uh, he's a guy that's really good, um, or at least was really good in college. He was a third round pick. He's got four or five speed. He's got size. And, you know, obviously, Spags thought enough of him to draft him in the third round. So the only thing that held that guy back was a fractured ankle last year. Yeah. Um, you know, if that, if that ended up happening, he was, you know, the nickel back for the Rams and probably easily a starter halfway through the season based on how bad they were. So, um, so injury is the only thing that held him back. You know, obviously, they didn't like what they saw from him, but it was a new system. But, um, it, obviously, he, you know, the Saints picked him up, so he's healthy, he's ready to go, and um, he knows back the system. So I, I just think it was a case where we shouldn't be worried as much as a guy just became available, yeah. and it was it represented an upgrade over Albert Mack. Yeah, and to be even more positive on that, look, I like Jeff Fisher as a coach. I think he's a pretty good coach, but he's pretty much in charge of the Rams from top to bottom. And it is yet to be determined if Jeff Fisher knows what the hell what the hell to do on personnel. You know, he could just be running people out of there, Andrew. And the Saints may, you know, like you say, they may have stumbled onto a guy now. Obviously, he's not going to be Deion Sanders, but there's no reason to believe that the Rams haven't, you know, doing a purge and might have th- thrown some stuff that's pretty good into the trash. And he may be a guy that can be a nickel corner, you know? He's, you know, he's, the main thing, too, Ralph, that I think people need to realize, and I know I know there's there's a tendency when you're a fan to, to look at a move like that and think, oh, well, this guy's the trash of the Rams, and all of a sudden the Saints are picking him up. You know, what, what's up with that? So I, I can see that perception, and I can see where you would think that that, that, that would make you nervous. But I think it's important to know that when you get down to that level, fourth, fourth corner, fifth corner, when you get down there, there, there's not a huge amount of separation. You know, the league is very top-heavy with talent, where yeah. elite players are probably going to cut it on just about any team. But once you get past that, it's all about system matches. 
Yeah. You know, so it's all about guys that will fit and in, plug into the right system and that will play well in that system. You know, some corners are really good at man coverage but can't grasp the concept of zone yeah. and, and vice versa. And so um, Spags drafted this guy. He, he's confident in his abilities, and he knows that he can plug him in there in a pinch, and he's going to know the defense. And that, in some ways, that's way more valuable than some random free agent. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs> Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. They could pick up, it's going to have to learn anew. So yeah. um, you, know, you, you may look at it as, oh, well, he, he wasn't good enough for the Rams. Why is he good enough for the Saints? But I, I think that's a really important point to just realize is, when you get to that level of, of fourth running back, of, of fourth string tackle, it's a lot more about the personality, the fit, and, yep. and, the, and the skill set than it is about whether the guy's any good or not. I mean, and and if you don't and if you don't believe me and Andrew, we'll, I've got a great example example for you that I think we've used many times. Scott Shanley, the Saints were basically they didn't even have warm bodies at linebacker in 2006. They played the Cowboys. And I think Sean Payton went to midfield and was like, hey, Bill, are you going to cut Shanley? And Bill Parcells was probably like, yeah, we kind of are. He's like, here's a seventh-round pick. We want him. And he's been playing for the Saints for six years. So, yeah. you know, and, and believe me, if he was going to be – if he was going to be one or two on the depth chart, Dallas wouldn't have given him to the Saints for, you know, a seventh-round pick in a, in a pot of gumbo. And, you know, that's so that's exactly to the point. You know, you said, would Shanley cut it on 32 teams in the NFL? Probably not. He probably wouldn't make, you know, the yeah. majority of those rosters. Or if he did, maybe he'd be a backup. But um, but he's found his niche with the Saints, and now he's in a position where the Saints coaches know what they're going to get out of him. They trust him. They like his influence in the locker room. And so he's got that starting position on lockdown. How comfortable are you with uh, Garrett Hartley at kicker? Uh, depends on which week you ask me. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I think, I think I feel pretty good. Um, you know, well, first of all, he did well in preseason, you know, he missed a one fifty four yarder, which kind of hope he would make, but, uh, he looks more impressive than, than Casey. I mean, I, I truly believe he beat Casey out for the job Yeah. and, um, he earned it. And so from that standpoint, that makes me feel better. Um, and you know, I've always had confidence in Garrett Hartley, but, 
when a guy's out for a year and you haven't seen him kick, you, you wonder, you know, if things change, you know, if the injury affected him. Um, but I have no reason to believe that he's going to struggle this year. Now, do I think he's as solid and mentally a rock like Casey? No. But, um, you know, I was pretty nervous about the Saints bringing in Casey last year. Um, I thought he was too old. And I, how he performed was, I mean, it was best-case scenario. I mean, yeah. I don't think any of us expected Casey to turn in the season that he did. Um, but, look, Carly has accuracy. He has range. He has power. So, I feel pretty good. You know, I think, like any kicker, you know, me- mentally, you know, it can play tricks on you if it's a crucial kick in, in the crucial stages of the game. But uh, Casey didn't have too many kicks like that. If you think back to last year, there weren't too many games where Casey had a kick that he just had to make and the game was on the line. Um, so hopefully it won't come to that with Hartley. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, a like the Atlanta kick in overtime. But that was a short kick. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't like a you know a forty plus yard kick yeah. that the season or the game or this crucial divisional matchup rode on and I feel like for the most part Casey kind of had an easy ride in terms of pressure last yeah, year. Yeah, I will say that's one of the things where you could really miss Sean Payton is if Garrett Hartley maybe not gets super duper shaky, but Sean Payton just that's one of his things that. He can do that there. I don't think there's anybody that can do quite what he does as far as prodding a player, knowing when to tear him down, knowing when to pump him up. And, you know, if Garrett Hartley hits a little rough patch in game, Sean Payton just knew how to massage it and get the best out of him. You know, he knew when to scream him down and tell him not to sulk against Tampa, and he knew when to build him up in the NFC Championship game to make the kick against Minnesota. You know, I mean, maybe, hell, maybe he makes it anyway. I don't know. I just think that's one of the things, Andrew, where you can really point to Sean Payton and say, man, that's why he's making $7 million a year. He really knows how to how to push all the buttons on the individual players. Well, we yeah, we've talked about that yeah. at length, and I, you're, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. But, uh, but you know, Hartley's been around. It's not like he's, you know, in his first year and he needs John Carney around anymore. I, yeah. I really feel like it's, it's make it or break it for this guy. Come on. I mean, how much longer are we going to have some 40-year-old kicker on the roster to kind of help him in his development? And this is it. Hartley needs to turn in a 16-game season, enough of these 8 to 10 pretty good game seasons, He's got to play 16 games. The Saints can't carry another kicker on their roster. It's got to be just him. And and if he can't do that this season, then they need to start looking for another kicker because in this day and age in the NFL, you can't keep wasting roster spots. And the kicker's got to be a solid solid thing. I mean, there's just too many good ones out there. Yeah, and I mean, listen, they they, they can't they can't cap wise. They really can't afford to carry three kickers because they're they're paying Thomas Moore said elite punter money. You know, so even if you carry a minimum guy, you know, are the Saints really going to – you're really going to carry like $5 million in kickers, $6 million in no. kicker money? You, I mean, you just – with the Saints cap situation, you're absolutely right. They just – I mean, there comes a point where they just, you know, they're not going to be able to do it. But at the same time, I think John Casey, if if worst-case scenario, John Casey will be out there if they need to – if they needed it. Uh, I think that's kind of their contingency, yeah, if, if uh, shit hits the fan with Hartley again. Yeah. We'll just bring Casey right back in. Yeah, um what would you say about um the the one spot with the Saints and I think you might have touched on it but uh just a little bit, but that one spot where that you're like, man, the Saints, they are really, 
really thin. And I'm not talking, obviously, quarterback look, Drew Brees. Drew Brees goes, God forbid, then, you know, everything changes. But what's a position where you're like, man, the Saints are really thin and they they really they really need to stay healthy at that position? Well, uh, you know, obviously Drew Brees is the, uh, is the very easy answer. But, look, defensively, I don't think there's one guy. I mean, it would suck to lose Lawson, but – um, I still think this team, its offense carries it. So I think first and foremost, you have to look at the offense if you look at a place where they can't afford an injury, um, because that's that's ultimately the unit that's going to carry this team. So when you look at offense, they're very deep at receiver, they're very deep at running back, and you know Andy Tanner's now in the practice squad, so they've got him, um, and they can call him up, and we know he's capable. Um, so for me, you know, obviously Jimmy Graham, if he goes down, I feel okay about Higgins and Daniel Graham and, and David Thomas now, there's a pretty huge drop-off in terms yeah. of talent, but at least they've got some depth. Where they don't have depth, I'm not even going to name one position, I'm going to say the entire offensive line, yeah. because right now they've got three backups. They've got Eric Olson, who's basically backing up three positions, and is a guy I'm not sold on at all based on what I saw in preseason. They've got Marcel Jones, who's a rookie who struggled big time in preseason, and they're hanging on to him because they believe in his promise and whatever, and he's a big dude. So, um, you know, maybe maybe he develops like Streif did under Stinchcomb, you know, and maybe Streif helps him learn to yeah. be a pro, but I don't think he's ready right now. And I think we all remember the Charles Brown experiment last year. And uh, it's funny, actually, um, I, I work in the same building as Chris Long, um, who you'll remember – is uh to them for him that ate Charlie Brown's lunch um, <laughs> last season. And I asked him about that game. You know, I see him in the building all the time, and I actually uh, booked a band for his wedding. And so I asked uh, Chris, I said, you know, so tell me about that game. And um, he basically told me, plain and simple, Charles Brown won ready. He yeah. went into that game, and he just he just, he just said it was too easy. And now Chris, Chris Long is an elite player and a super nice guy, by the way, but um, you know, he basically told me that um, the bottom line was Charles Brown just, um, you know, he, he, he was thrown into the fire and he didn't answer well, at all. And so, yeah. Well, to me, Andrew, that is a that actually the answer you just gave is a more comforting answer than if he would have said that dude. He can't. He can't play in the NFL. He's too. If he would have said he's too slow, he's too fat, he's not strong enough. That would scare me more. Not being ready. Okay, there's a little bit of hope there. You know. Yeah, I mean, he's got the intangibles, but, uh, you know, with some guys, they just mentally, they just never get to that place where they're ready to perform on the NFL. Um, but so I just named those three backups right there, and uh, none of them I feel good about at all. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, you can say, well, the Saints need more depth, but in the salary cap era, I mean, you're just every – I mean, you can look at any team in the NFL. They're going to have – they're going to have their, their spots where they just don't have any depth. I mean, you you can't – spend money everywhere and you can't develop depth at every position. I mean, besides offensive line, which I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I feel pretty good about where the Saints are. Look, defensive linemen, maybe they don't have any elite guys, but they're all pretty decent. If they lose one of them, you wouldn't be if you if they lost one or two of them for a couple of weeks stretch, you wouldn't be in panic mode. They lose a couple offensive linemen. Andrew, for even a couple weeks at a time, it's a little bit of a panic mode, I think. I agree. And look, we're not, we, the Saints don't have the luxury that they had in 2006 when Jonathan Goodwin was the backup center and backup guard and Zach Streif was the backup tackle. 
mean, those are guys that ended up coming in and starting and mm-hmm. doing a tremendous job for the Saints. I could be wrong, but I don't see Eric Olson replacing Jari Evans in three years. And I don't see um, – now, you know, the jury's still out on Marcel Jones, and maybe he can develop into a good player, but I don't see Charlie Brown replacing German Bushrod in two years. Yeah. Um, so I hope I'm wrong, but um, as of right now, um, you know, I, I just don't think they have, the Saints have the luxury – um, of the depth that they had 2006, 2007, when you saw these young players develop into key role players. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, look, they were just, I mean, they had just an incredible run of getting linemen after a lot. I mean, they would get them, they'd stay on the roster a little while, and they'd develop into stars. I mean, that streak doesn't go on for, it, it just, it doesn't go on forever. Yeah, no, you're right. And, I mean, Bushrod, too, was a guy that they hit with. Exactly. And here's another – the thing is with the Saints as far as, as depth, and if if I get the blog wrong, I apologize. I think it was Houdat Social Club, but I'm not exactly sure. It, I forgot. I stumbled on it through Grandmaster Wayne. Well, remember, remember the good old days when there was like three Saints blogs? It was like Saints Nation, uh, <laughs> Moose Denied, and like Kevin's blog and Canal Street Chronicles. Remember those like three or four? Now that if you look out there, there's like 17 Saints blogs. It is. It's, and and you know what though, a lot of them do pretty. A lot of them do pretty good work. And look, I if agree. I got, what's that? It, and and it, it uh, if I get it wrong, I apologize. But the main thrust of the article, which I thought was really interesting, was if you compare the Saints' offense to other elite offenses, the Saints' touchdowns and yards are spread among a ton of guys. As good as Jimmy Graham was, if you compare him to Gronk. Gronk, Gronkowski for New England, had like 30% of their touchdowns. Jimmy Graham only had 11. Right. The the blog post had two interesting points. Is One, no no one person besides Breeze is ultra, ultra important, but they all have a certain amount of importance, and you can't just – the point was you can't just dismiss the loss of Robert Meacham. He was really vital. He did his role. He blocked good. He caught a lot of passes. And you and you can't just assume that it's going to be really easy to replace him. So, in a way, it gives you comfort in like, yeah, if they lose a guy for a couple of weeks or whatever, they'll be okay. I think as you saw when they didn't have Sproles in the preseason, the offense didn't take a huge step back. But at the same time, maybe replacing Meacham's maybe it's a little harder than we think it's going to be, Andrew. You mean harder with? With spreading the ball around this year? No, I mean the Meacham. It's going to be harder to replace what he did for the. Oh, league. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I don't know because you know Meacham is a good player, but um, I actually think the move was a good move for him because I think he'll get a chance with the Chargers to actually get a chance as a receiver to expand his role. You know, I think for better or for worse, the Saints kind of had him as a one-dimensional player. You know, yeah. he, he was, he's kind of a field stretcher, and I think he's better than that. I really think he's a guy that could be a complete receiver. Um, and, you know, unfortunately for him, the Saints never really asked him to do that. So, I drafted him in the um, last round of my fantasy draft. So, Yeah, no, I think that's a great pick. I think a lot of people should look at Meacham. You know, the one question with him is, will he stay healthy? But um, so, you know, I, I'd say the main thing about Meacham, you know, as far as what he did for the Saints, uh, he's a guy to come in and stretch the field, and that's, that's why they got Joe Morgan. Yeah. And so if 
Joe Morgan doesn't need to be as good as Meacham is at the other stuff. He just needs to be good at running a straight line down the field. And if he does that, he's basically going to replace Meacham. And it's not because Meacham wasn't any good. It's just that's all the Saints really asked him to do. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get to let's get to the games. Um, Washington Redskins. Uh, I said in my preview column uh, that if they block Kerrigan and they block Arakbo, there's no way the Redskins secondary can cover everybody the Saints have, and they'll pretty much be able to do whatever they want. Uh, how yeah, do you know, I've got something queued up for tomorrow, and it basically says the same thing. <laughs> Well, yeah, but you're going to use film breakdown and statistics. I just use uh, talking out of my ass and making jokes. Um, but is that? I mean, you, and you're in Washington. You're in the Redskin country. So, I mean, is that a, is that a, is that a fair assessment? Assessment, or am am I possibly underselling how um, how good their secondary is? No, I, look, I think the Redskins are all about their linebackers, and if you, I may push this post back a day, you know, just to move up the podcast, but um, either today or tomorrow you'll see on Saints Nation that I did a breakdown of the, of the Redskins, and so that's coming up on the blog, and you should check it out, but I scouted them, and um, what I saw was that really their linebackers um, are, are what makes the team tick, and they've got four guys. They've got two guys in Fletcher and Perry Riley, formerly of LSU, um, who have run defense on lockdown. And those guys are excellent, excellent run support guys. And then on the edge, they've got Ryan Kerrigan, who's coming into his own, and he's, you know, a promising young pass rusher. And Arakpo, who is probably one of the best in the game, you know, or at least could be one of the best at rushing the passer. So um, so their linebackers are very strong, and, and they're kind of – they've got two that are really good at getting after quarterbacks off the edge, and they've got two that are really good at controlling the line of scrimmage. Beyond that – their defensive line, they're, they're, they run a 3-4 almost exclusively. Their defensive line, nothing to write home about. Their defensive backfield, nothing to write home about. They've got two safeties that are brand new to their defense this year um, that are middle-of-the-road veterans and nothing special. Um, they've got D'Angelo Hall, who's their star corner, their star guy in the backfield, and he, he's kind of a shell of his former self. He's nowhere near the player he used to be now. He still has good ball skills, um, so yeah. he can come up with an interception. He can make a play, but um, I don't think that he's a shutdown corner, and, and Drew Brees can expose him. So, um, no, I, I like I said, it, you, you can. There's two things you can do. You can keep Kerrigan and Arakpo honest by running effectively, running the football effectively. Now that's easier said than done because, I, as I just said, Fletcher and Riley are both excellent run stoppers, but. If you can impose a ground game, um, you stand a really good chance. And then when you're in passing downs, it's just really important that you don't get in a position to let Arakpo and Kerrigan really pin, pin your ears back and just get after the quarterback. You know, play action, misdirection, that's important. Um, but I think Sproles in this game is a huge nightmare matchup problem for the Redskins because they like to blitz off the edge and they don't have anyone that can run with Sproles. And if Perry Riley or London Fletcher get caught in a pass, passing situation where they have to cover scrolls, they've got no chance, none. Um, and so that, that, that's the, that, those are the matchups and the mismatches that I think the Saints want to try to exploit. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting. As far as the Redskins on offense, look, they're going to have RG3. I worry about him just because I don't know how healthy the Saints linebackers are or the Saints defense in general. I mean, look, the Saints, I don't believe anything they say about injuries until until I see people on the field. And even yeah. then, you never know what the Saint what the Saints are telling you if it's true. Um <laughs> You gotta, you gotta give Cromer uh, credit in his first press conference for his uh, inner Sean Payton immediately saying, "Yeah, I, I don't feel like talking about injuries. So I'm not gonna talk about that today." Yeah, we'll talk about it Wednesday. <laughs> well played. He knows he knows how the Saints roll about injuries. So he, he, he clearly read the manual. Exactly. So the Redskins they have two new receivers. They have Pierre Garcon, who is a guy. He was all right with the Colts, you know. Um, Josh Morgan, who. God bless his agent that he got him six and a half million a year. I don't know how the hell that happened. What was that? He, he hadn't even he's never caught sixty passes in a season. So I mean, I think he can be okay, you know, when he's when he's healthy, but I mean I wouldn't want him as my number two. I I mean I you know, if the Saints had got him cheap and they were gonna replace Meacham, I'd be like, Well that's okay. But so what's your thoughts on the Saints trying to defend the Redskins? Well, I think fortunately for the Saints, um, the Redskins haven't really put pieces around RG3 that, that well yet. Um, so uh, that, that's still a work in progress for the Redskins. I think they're still, you know, in the infancy of revamping their team. And, you know, drafting RG3 was the beginning of that. Um, but now they're going to have to put pieces around them. And, um, you know, honestly, their offense, their, their playmakers uh, were cut. That, you know, they got rid of yeah. Hightower, who was their who was their runner last year, their main guy, and they cut Cooley, who was their tight end for years. So, um, and, and one of their main targets. And so, it, it's pretty clear that they've gotten to a point where they're they're moving on with these new guys. And uh, you know, I don't know if Garcon can uh, can can do it as as a number one guy, but um, the one thing that scares me is Garcon does have elite speed, and RG three, you know, he's going to be the master of getting out of the box. Yeah. And when the player breaks down, that, that means you have to cover Garcon that much longer. And the more time you give Garcon to run into an open field, eventually he's going to get open. He's going to get open deep. He's going to hurt you. So uh, so that type of player, that speedster receiver that's maybe a little unpolished, um, it is a good playmaker to put along with an RG3. So um, that scares me a little bit. Um, look, the, the three-headed monster of uh, – Evan Royster, Elu, and Alfred Morris. I mean, look, if the Saints can't stop that run game, they're going to have trouble all season long because, uh, well, you know, I, well, here's, I don't think those running backs put much fear in me. Well, here's my concern with the Saints defense, and I put it in my I put it in my preview column on Channel Go There today. It's it's posted. Go there. Uh, is Steve Spagnola? Everybody talks about, oh, he was fantastic his first year with the Giants. They dom- they beat the 17-0 and Patriots, and they beat the tar out of Tom Brady. And that was great, Andrew. But you know what they don't talk about when they talk about Steve Spagnuolo? The fact that his first year with the Giants, the first two weeks, he gave up 80 points. So I think it's a bad – I think it could potentially be a bad match for the Saints defense because of this. Look, Mike Shanahan's off in team – What's that? Not to, cut you off, not to cut you off, but real quick, it's funny you mention that because on that exact same team, uh, Sean Payton had his duties basically pulled from him because he was doing so bad. Yeah. So. Exactly. But yeah. Um, the 
the thing with the Redskins is with Mike Shanahan and offense is they run a lot of boots. They love to run the boots, and they run that Alex Gibbs one cut and go running style. You yeah. get the ball, you make your cut, and you go. And the yeah. thing is with that is I'm no coach, and I can't explain to you probably not as nearly as good as you can what a run fit is, but I know it's all about – when you defend the run against certain offenses, you gotta stay in the right spot and you gotta know where to go. And this offense against with Mike Shanahan is one of those times where you've just got to be super, super efficient and smart and line up correctly and know where to go because it's not simply smashing it and running it down your throat. It's cutbacks, it's lanes, and that sort of thing. And Andrew, that really worries me. Yeah, you're right, and uh, that's Shanahan's trademark. And, uh, you know, technique and discipline is at a premium when you're playing that team, no question about it. Um, Now, I will say when that offense was working at its best in Denver, um, keep in mind the offensive line that they had was absolutely phenomenal. And the offensive line that the Redskins have, you know, you could say Trent Williams is pretty solid at uh, left tackle, a very good player. Um, their left guard, Lichtenstein, or whatever, I forget to pronounce his name, he, he's pretty solid. Um, but they don't have a great center. Right guard is weak, and Jamal Brown's hurt, and their replacement at right tackle is not good. So the right side of that line in particular is very, very weak. And I think the key player, Ralph, in this matchup is the development of Cam Jordan. Yeah. If he is improved, if he's ready to step up, he is going to line up against a very poor right tackle, and he's going to have a chance both in pass rushing situations and especially against the run to make his mark. Yeah. Um, but, look, yeah, I, I think it's important. If, if if you're on the Saints defense, I know the Saints coaches are preaching it this week. Respect the system. Respect the scheme. Yeah. Stay within your position. Don't pull Jolon Dunbar, you know, going after the football, losing your man, you know, and biting on play action. Respect the scheme. Stick, stick with your assignment. You know, be the Sean Scott, the Scott Shanley disciple, and, and do your job. Because playing this team, it, it's all, and especially with a quarterback that has this capability, it's all about respecting the assignment and making sure you do your job. Because, um, like I said, premium. Uh, I'm sorry, discipline is at a premium this week. Well, I'm going to be there, so I'm. I'm thinking the dome's going to be as. As wild and crazy for an opener, except for maybe 2006 when the Dome reopened. But besides that game, I think the Dome is going to be as frothy and crazy as we've ever seen it. Um, Andrew, before I get to season prediction for you, I want to score for the Redskins game. Well, I was going to say, I'm going to be there too, Ralph. So uh, make sure you um, catch me. Let's text before the game. I exactly. Properly lubricated before the game. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say the Saints win this one pretty easily. I think you know Archie Tree will make a couple plays and uh, scare us a little bit in the early going. Uh, but at the end of the game, uh, Saints pull away in the second half. I'm going to say Saints 38, Redskins 24. I had it 31-24, so that's pretty close to me. I just think, I just think that nine and a half points. The Saints are still having that line. Vegas is still giving the line for the Saints games off of last year, where the Saints just dump truck teams at home. And I'm not ready. To st- I'm not ready to lay more than eight points 
with the Saints against anybody until I see this until I see the new defense with Spags. All right, let's get into season predictions. I wrote in my column today that the Saints season they're like evil Knievel. They're they're like the season can only go one or two ways, Andrew, because the Saints are easy, evil Knievel. They're trying to jump the 50 school buses, and it's either awesome and fantastic, or it is going to be horrible. Either you're going to love this season, it's going to be the best thing we ever saw, or by December, we're just going to want it to fucking end because it's so miserable. I don't think – I know I've been wishy-washy, and I've been thinking maybe 10-6. and six. I think, Andrew, it's either 12-4 and four, or 10 and 6. It just feels to me with all the bounty stuff and everything, it either goes really good or really bad. I don't have any statistics or theory to back that or or facts to back it up. It's just the my gut feeling of how this is going to go. Wait, so Ralph, you're telling me that 10 6 10 and 6 equates to really bad? No, no. I'm saying there's going to be no middle ground for the Saints. They're not going to be 10 and 6. They're either going 12 and 4, 13 and 3 or they're going 6 and 10. There's, oh, okay. There's not going to be any middle, barely make the playoffs. It's going to be all. I mean, all does this six and ten, does this six and ten season involve Drew Brees getting a Vaughn Johnson-esque staff infection? It could. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have any. I don't have any theories like that. You know, like uh, like Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal had their theory that the Saints were going to regress just because they think Drew Brees is going to get injured because it's time for him to get injured. No, it's not because of that. I just think. I just think with the bounty stuff, it just it just feels to me like either we're going to love this year or we're going to hate it by December. Yeah, okay, well, I don't think the Saints are going 6 and 10 unless the monkey that got SARS and the monkey and the <laughs> started flying flu unless unless they mate and create some morphed disease that Drew Brees gets. Um I don't think 6 and 10 is happening. I think we've already seen the worst-case scenario um with Drew Brees not playing well, and, and, you know, as long as he's not injured, I mean, I, I think that the worst case is, you know, this 8-8 this eight and eight territory, you know, this kind of mediocre hanging on. But, um, no, so I, I think I think it's going to be tough for the Saints to get, you know, to 12 and 4, 13 and 3. I just think without their coach and, uh, you know, I, they're, they're going to get some adversity, and I just I think it's uh, naive to think that they're going to respond to it as well as they would with, with Sean Payton there. So, um I kind of think 10 and 6 is that sweet spot, and I think if uh, – I, I kind of disagree. I don't think it's going to be awesome or awful. Now, you know, if Brees gets hurt, I, I think that's a caveat for any season. If Brees gets hurt, it's over. But, um, you know, I think the sweet spot's kind of 8 and 8, worst case, to 10 and 6, maybe 11 and 5, best case. Um, and I, I think the Saints are pretty entrenched in that window. Um, and, you know, they, they just need a couple things to fall their way to be 11 and 5, and – Hopefully a couple of those 11 wins are against Atlanta and they win the division. Yeah, and I don't think – I don't think the Saints' schedule – I know everybody keeps saying it's so hard, it's so hard. But, Andrew, I look at the divisions that they're they're going to play. Yeah, the NFC East, look, it's good. And, and, and even though it gets a little bit too much hype because of the media, those teams are all going to be, I think, except maybe for Washington, and Washington could be feisty, they're all going to be in the – seven to 11 win range. So the NFC East is solid. But to me, Andrew, all this stuff about the AFC West being any good, says fucking who? You got the Chargers. They got Norv for back for year 10 or whatever. They're, Norv Turner is mediocre. The Chargers have fallen into mediocrity. Why is it going to be? Um, 
Philip Rivers is going to be lucky to get through 10 games with that offensive line. Exactly. Kansas City, football outsiders, by their advanced metrics, and look, I know it doesn't translate uh, money ball, it doesn't translate over to football, but they have a Pythagorean theorem where they take your points scored and your points against, and they use a formula, and the Chiefs last year, they won seven games, they should have won 3.8. So... I don't think the Chiefs are any better. Romeo Cornell, he doesn't scare me. They haven't really done anything to improve their team. Um, Denver could be really good with Peyton Manning if he's healthy, but their defense still has a lot of holes in the secondary. And if Peyton Manning isn't health, healthy, uh, good luck. And the Raiders are still the Raiders. They got Carson Palmer. He doesn't scare me. So I don't feel like the schedule is as hard. Yeah, the Raiders are going to find a way to screw the season yeah. up. They always do. I don't feel – I don't mean you can disagree, but I don't feel like the schedule is as hard as people like Jeff Duncan and ESPN. I don't feel like it's, it's as hard as people are making it out to be. No, no. And, look, they, they, the Saints, think about the games they've lost the last two years, the Browns, the Cardinals, the Rams. I mean, you never freaking know. And, look, everyone was talking up the Eagles last year, and by week six, Everybody was praying to have the Eagles on their schedule. Please let us play the Eagles, the dream team. Every team would love a chance to beat down on them. So uh, we don't really know. That's the thing. Yeah. You, know, you go into the exactly. season and you have this idea of, hey, this team's going to be awesome, this team's going to be awful. But, look, injuries happen, boom. Just like that, it flaps, it turns the team on its head. And a first-round rookie out of nowhere, boom, he's a superstar. It changes everything. So – um, you know, that's just one of those things where, um, you know, it's hard to predict and, you know, a couple injuries here or there and, and teams you were terrified of or teams you want to play. All right. Now, I asked you this question at the beginning of preseason. We'll end on this, Andrew. I asked it, I asked it to you at the beginning of preseason. We've seen all of preseason, obviously. So maybe you've changed your mind. Maybe you haven't. I grant you the power, Andrew Juge, to bestow on one Saints player – a career year. Who do you give that to? If you could grant one Saints player to have a career year, who would it be? Uh, do you remember who I picked before the season started? Uh, I think it was Malcolm Jenkins. Okay. Yeah, no, that sounds right. Um, well, if I pick three to have a career year, does that mean it's even better than last year? Um. Yeah, it would be. I guess, I guess he could throw for 5,550. <laughs> well, I'm not going to pick Breeze. I was just curious. But, yeah, I, I think it's safe to assume Breeze is going to be pretty awesome. Um, you know, I, I'd be I'd be on the fence between Malcolm Jenkins because I still just have this memory of how that defense was when Darren Sharper was making so many plays. Yeah. And I'll have that again, which would be amazing. Um, but part of me wants to say Mark Ingram. Um, and the reason for that is, as great as it's been to have four solid running backs, man, how great would it be to have, like, a freaking Barry Sanders back there, you know, in his prime where, you know, Mark Mark Ingram just decides, okay, this year I'm just going to tear it up and I'm going to be the best back in the NFL and, and just, you know, have a season that MJ, MJD had three years ago, you know, and yeah. four people's heads. And so, that would, um, that would freak, freak, freak fantasy football out. Yeah, I really would. And, you know, and that's the thing. The Saints are already a good running team, but if they become an elite running team, then it's just like there's no limit for how 
historical this offense could be. If they would go from, like, what were they, like, fifth or sixth last year, if they go to, like, first or second running the ball and first or second pass the ball, oh, my God. <laughs> that would be that'd be ridiculous. I'm going to say if I, if I have to nominate one guy for just an absolute career year, I like your pick of Jenkins. I was thinking somebody on the defensive line, but I'm going to go Curtis Lofton. If he could just be a tackling machine – and create five or six turnovers, I think it. I think it changes the, the Saints' defense completely. You know. Yeah, I feel you. So that with that with that, Andrew, uh, the season's here, my friend. And next week we will get the most intense film breakdown ever on the Chronic Podcast. I am looking forward to it almost as much as you. Uh, so much, man. And look. Uh... Fans, uh, Ralph and I are going to have a chugging contest during the tailgate. And we are. We will report back, we will report back on who who was the fastest chugger. I think – I have to warn you, I could uh... – I could I could funnel quite a few years when I was at LSU, but I'm but I'm older now, so so I may not I may not be the all pro that I once was. Yeah, I, I have to get that. So <laughs> all right, be well, Andrew, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Look around; you can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.